Welcome to the Plain Sense Podcast, where the life-changing Word of God is made accessible and understandable to all. Here is your host, Dr. Joel Madasu. Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to the Plain Sense Podcast. This is your host, Joel Madasu. Today, we have an interesting topic, uh, one of the topics that I really like and enjoy. It is about uh, the importance of biblical languages. Why are biblical languages important for understanding God's Word? Why are biblical languages important for understanding God's Word? And uh, to talk about this topic, we have a guest today that is Pastor Dan Hanshu from Cross Stores Baptist Church, Rocky Mount, North Carolina. Pastor Hanshu, thank, uh, thank you for your time and uh, welcome to the Plain Sense Podcast. Thanks for having me back. You're welcome. Uh, before we get into this topic, would you please uh, give us some information about you for our listeners? Sure, I have a background in both church ministry and biblical higher education. And for this particular topic, I should probably also add that uh, my Bible college education was a major in Bible theology with a concentration in New Testament Greek. And then in seminary, um, my THM was in New Testament literature and exegesis. So I have somewhat of a background in uh, the languages. And then as I worked in biblical higher education, I've taught both uh, Greek and Hebrew. Mm -hmm. uh, so I have something of a background when it, when it comes to using the languages. And um, I'm, I'm thankful that I get to use them uh, in my study all the time. So mm -hmm. I'm glad. I'm glad. Uh, um... The language is also one of your uh, interesting areas of study, and it is certainly mine. And I'm glad that you're here. Thank you again for giving this time. Uh, without delay, I'll go ahead with the question. Uh, the question for this uh, podcast is, why are biblical languages important for understanding God's word? Why are they important? And the, the reason I'm asking is there are uh, some who may think it is really not important, which we'll get to it in just a little bit to that question. Uh, but primarily, why are biblical languages important for understanding God's Word? Yeah, so in answering that question, I think that uh, giving your audience some assumptions that I bring to the table, these are assumptions that I'm making that might help them understand some of the things I'm going to say a little bit later. And uh, the first assumption that I'm making is that the pastor is primarily a teacher of the Bible. It's his primary job is to be a teacher of the Bible, not just a teacher. That's not his calling just to teach, but to be a teacher of the Bible, uh, the Old and New Testament. And a second assumption that I have is that the pastor is responsible before the Lord for what he teaches. And so if a pastor has to rely heavily upon commentators and secondary and even tertiary, uh, tertiary sources, then he has to trust, he has to place his trust in those people that they are, are telling the truth. Um, and so he then becomes responsible for what they say before the Lord, not just for what he uh, has said. And thirdly, I would say, I'm assuming that it is the pastor's uh, goal and even responsibility to try 
in his study to get back as close as possible to the primary sources, which are going to be the autographs. Now, those of us who have studied um, in original languages of the Bible, we know we don't have the autographs, but we need to get back as close as we can to the autographs. And that means understanding uh, Greek and Hebrew, Aramaic, and maybe some other uh, languages in there as well. Um, I like to tell people for the most time, I know a little bit of Greek, I know a little bit of Hebrew, um, but <laughs> mostly I struggle with English. And so, uh, you know, I, I can use some of the languages, but um, um, I'm, I'm an English speaker. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that, anyway, those are my assumptions. Those are three assumptions that I have um, as I approach this question. Mm-hmm. Why are the biblical languages important to know? Of someone who wants to go into the pastoral ministry. And, and as I was thinking about that question, you know, you gave me that question a little while ago to think about. And as I was thinking about that question, I just jotted down what I would say are some pros and cons to learning biblical languages. And so um, I have five pros and five cons. So mm-hmm. let me give you five positive aspects of learning the biblical languages. Um, Number one, you're dealing with sources closer to the primary sources. So you're dealing with Hebrew and Greek, which puts you closer to the autographs. Uh, So you're not tied to any one translation. I think it's dangerous when um, pastors, Bible students, tie themselves to one translation and exclude everything else, you know, then they become dependent on that one translation. And we all know that translations are a work in progress. They're, they're not uh, perfection. Hmm. And uh, so knowing the original languages allows you to go a little bit closer to the uh, primary sources. Uh, Number two, um, if you know the original languages, you become less dependent upon others for interpretations of the text. Mm-hmm. Uh, instead of relying on other people to help you interpret the text, you're going to the language, whether it's Hebrew or Greek, and you're using the language and the objective limitations that the language provides to come up with your interpretation of the text. There's still interpretation work that has to be done, but you're not you're not using another person's interpretation. You are using what the text says, and you're trying to understand what this Hebrew passage or Greek passage uh, means. Mm-hmm. Uh, thirdly, um, when you use the original languages, it allows you to more clearly see some of the nuances in the text. And um, whether this is a uh, verb tense, or whether it's a particular uh, construction, the way that the biblical writer composed the text, it allows you to see those nuances a little bit more clearly than if you're just limited to English or some other language. Um, you, you, you don't have as much insight just from reading those translations. Number four, 
when you're able to use the original languages, it allows the pastor or allows the Bible student to see more clearly the grammatical and syntactical outline of a passage. At, at times, it really pops out and becomes very obvious as to what an outline uh, is of a certain passage that might not be possible in English, but uh, it's possible when you know the Hebrew or the Greek language and can use it in studying the Bible. Uh, number five, using the original language often allows the pastor to be more focused in his time. In other words, he's, he's better able to manage his time so that he is working on and studying the most important aspects of a passage rather than something that maybe he doesn't know, so he has to learn, um, and it just takes time away from the primary subject that he's studying, whereas if you knew the original languages, you would know right away, well, this means this, and now I can go on to study something that's a little bit more significant in trying to present the truth of this passage. And so it's a time saver. It's a time saver. So that's my five uh, pros. And there's, can, there's many more that uh, can be listed, but I just sat down and I said, well, what's the pros and cons here? And I just jotted them down real fast. The, the cons, if, if we can say it this way, are the trade-offs. Maybe that's the right way to put it, is the trade-offs to learning the original languages is that, number one, it takes dedication. To learn a language takes dedication. And I would say this particular trade-off is especially problematic in our day and time as there's so many other distractions. Even Bible study programs, which I use, I use Bible study programs to help me, but they can be a distraction and it distracts you from the text. Um, commentaries can be distractions. Uh, most of all, our phones, our smartphones, and the internet can be distractions. And I don't think those things are evil in and of themselves, but they present challenges to us that um, keep us from focusing on the text. And if you're going to learn the languages, you need to be focused and you need to be dedicated. Uh, the second um, trade-off or con that I see is that it just takes time. You know, it takes time to learn languages. You have to be dedicated to learn languages, but it takes time to learn languages. And from my experience in biblical higher education, the one challenge that is always there with students in Bible college is they want to get out and get into ministry. They want to go into ministry right away, and they don't want to take the time necessary to learn about ministry to build a toolbox that they can use in ministry. Hmm. And, um, you know, it just, it just takes time. And most people don't want to dedicate the time that it takes to learn and keep up with the languages. It, it takes time to do both. It takes more time to learn the languages, but it also takes time to keep up with the languages. For, for instance, you know, I, I just preached through the book of Colossians. Well, that was my focus, was Colossians. So I was into my Greek New Testament a lot. Mm -hmm. 
but I wasn't into my Hebrew Bible that much. And so um, when you're in a situation like that, and I'm not, I'm not claiming to do this perfectly, but when you're in a situation like that, you have to dedicate time to spend in the languages. And I would also point out here that I don't think most churches appreciate uh, the time that it takes for someone who is dealing with the original languages. Hmm. Uh, I heard one um, pretty well-known pastor, I, I won't mention his name here because I uh, don't have permission and don't want to draw attention to him that he might not want, or I don't want to misquote him. So, um, But anyway, he, he is a well-known pastor who is now retired. And he was saying that he spends over 20 hours a week on one sermon. One sermon over 20 hours a week. Well, I don't have time to do that myself, but here's a guy who knows something about preaching. He knows something about pastoring. He knows how to use the original languages, and he says it takes about that much time for him to, to craft a good sermon. So it takes time. It just takes time. Uh, a third um, trade-off here is that when you know the original languages, it can make sermon preparation a little bit more laborious, intensive, and time-consuming. Because as you're studying the original languages, you will see that there's things that you need to study that you might not see in English. And so um, maybe in the time that you save in learning the original languages is, is uh, balanced out by the time you use and studying different aspects of the original language as you're studying the text of the Bible. But uh, keep in mind, too, that the pastor who uses the original languages has to then translate all that into English. He has to not just translate the, the Hebrew, Greek, and Greek text, but he also has to translate what he's learned from, you know, the perfect tense and Greek over to English speakers who probably don't have any idea what perfect tense means. So he has to be able to translate that. And that takes time. That takes time to be able to communicate that and to think about how to communicate that. Uh, fourthly here, another trade-off um, is that with all the time and effort that a pastor spends on a passage, they will tend to want to communicate what the text has taught them, and that can be a lot. Mm -hmm. And so that's always a challenge that maybe as the pastor develops a sermon and he's using the original languages that he puts too much into his sermon. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it's just a challenge. That's, that's a, that's a trade-off. I'm not saying that's the way it ought to be. It's just reality. You, you know, you spend, um, 20 hours like this other pastor that I mentioned 20 hours working on a sermon and you got something to say and you want to say it, you know, but most people don't want to take the time to listen to everything that you've learned from the text. Um, fourthly, and, and finally the last trade off or the last con is um, the pastor who knows how to use original languages needs to realize that most churches tend to want 
more in the area of application rather than explanation. So as you study the text, as you develop sermons from the original language, you're going to want to explain it. And um, it takes effort to do that, and it takes effort to listen to an explanation. Most churches, and, and so it's, I say most churches, I don't want to seem like every church is like this because they're not, but many Christians are more interested in, would just give me an application. You know, tell me, tell me how this is supposed to affect me. And uh, I'm like, well, I can't tell you that. <laughs> the Holy Spirit's going to do that for you, but I can tell you what the, the Bible says. But anyway, those are some pros and cons. And I, I don't know if you have any questions or comments about that. Like you said in the point, the last point on the, on the cons, uh, people tend to, uh, I mean, they need application. Is that what you said? They need application and explanation. And, and yeah, there is hard work for preparation, I agree. But it is also true that we can't really express all the hard work put into preparing a sermon with all the little insights and all those little elements that we we we, we find we find while we're studying the passage but uh, that for me especially personally the application part is the difficult part <laughs> not the analyzing right you know i i um i heard uh, it's been a long time ago or i heard or read i can't remember what it is now but uh, John MacArthur, um, whether you like him or not, he has good things to say about the pastoral ministry. Mm. He has good things to say about preaching and sermon development and, and that type of thing, sermon delivery. And um, I hope I'm giving him the right credit here, but in relation to the idea of application, of applying the sermon. He doesn't like the word application. He likes the word implication, that he is going to bring out what the implications are for this text in our life. And then the application is the personal um, interaction that the congregant, the, uh, the person in the pew, that they have between the text and the Holy Spirit and themselves. That's where the application comes in. The Holy Spirit using the text and applying it to the life of the person who's listening. Whereas the preacher can't do that because he's just the preacher. He's not the Holy Spirit. He doesn't know your heart, but he can bring out the implications of the text, what the text might be saying in such and such a case to a person. Um, but he can't say to each individual, this is what, this is how this particular text is going to apply to you. Um, so I, I like that. I like that MacArthur's idea is that, look, the preacher should worry about implication, the implications of the text, communicating those and not worry about the application because the application is a personal connection between the person listening to the sermon, the biblical text, and God the Spirit. Hmm. And so the preacher doesn't, he's not, he's not a part of that. So I kind of like that. Yeah. Um, that's that's interesting. 
Yeah, that's interesting because I never heard that before about the implication. Yeah, well, I hope I'm giving him right credit. If, if it wasn't him, uh, maybe somebody who listens to your uh, this podcast can say where they heard it. And uh, if nobody's ever heard that before, I'll take credit for it. But I'm, it's, not, <laughs> it's not original with me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, and, uh, under the cons, I mean, there's, uh, like you made several points, really interesting and points. Uh, it takes dedication, obviously, it takes a lot of work, and it gets so exhausting at times to actually deal with uh, languages. And um, Yeah, I... I let me give you an example of that. In my uh, Sunday school class, we're going through the book of Titus. And just started it maybe a month ago. And uh, we're, we're treading our way through. And I'm, I'm trying to teach a little bit about, you know, proper Bible study principles as we go through. So it's taking us a little bit longer to get through the beginning than it might normally. But uh, one of the things that I had to, the class do was a word study. And uh, I had him do a word study on the word elect that appears in, what is it, verse uh, 2, where it says, Paul, a bondservant, a doulos of God, and an apostle of Jesus Christ. And the New King James, what, what I'm using, uh, says, according to the faith of God's elect. And like, well, who, who is this? Who are these people elect? And I said, well, the best way to figure this out is to do a word study on this term. And so I printed out all the occurrences of this term in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And um, I, I connected all the cognate words. So it's the verbs, the nouns, and the adjectives. I, I gave it all to them. And I said, now your homework this week is to take this home and look all these up. And, and it was an impossible assignment because there's something like, it's close to 300 references that you would have to put up all together. Um, I can't remember the, the numbers off the top of my head, but uh, it, it's, a, it's a good bit of work. Well, you know, I asked the class to do that and I have done it in the past, but to double check my work, I went back and did it again. I did exactly what I asked the class to do and it took me six hours. Wow. That's one word. Hmm. That's one word, six hours, because you're looking up not just a verse, you're looking up a passage. Mm -hmm. You're trying to understand uh, this word in that passage. And so you ask questions. You have to ask questions mm -hmm. of the word, like who is electing? Um, what is being elected? Why is it being elected? Yeah, you ask all these words, and it leads you to, um, you know, something of a of a of a bank of ideas that this word can mean. And then you have to figure out, well, what's what's the most likely meaning in our particular passage mm -hmm. here? And that takes a lot of work because it's it's not just the research work; it's also what I consider maybe the harder work of concentrated thinking. Mm -hmm to evaluate all this in the particular passage. So that's just one of example. One word, six hours of work. Mm -hmm. now, now, thankfully, I don't need to ever do that again. Right. I mean, maybe I will, but I don't <laughs> have to. I have a place to start. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Because you've already done the work. 
most of the work. Yeah. Um, but I think it is worth, I mean, it takes time for uh, preparing um, a sermon through uh, languages, using languages, it takes time. Yes, it's hard work, but it, 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 it's, it's worth. Because like you mentioned in um, uh, using, uh, for example, commentaries at some point, commentaries are basically other people's uh, writer's thoughts. And then I, even I won't advise some of the students that I teach that don't run, I say don't run to the commentary the first thing. Keep that as a last thing in your, in your preparation. Right, right. But, you know, I kind of look at the commentaries. If you, if you look at the four basic steps of Bible study, observation, interpretation, correlation, and application, um, you know, the commentary fits in there somewhere at the end of interpretation, getting into the correlation part. Because a, a commentary might be able to, to help explain something that is obscure to you. Maybe it's a historical fact that you just aren't familiar with. Maybe it's some weird construction of the original language that happens once or twice in the Old Testament and you're just not familiar with it. It might help you um, with that, but it, it's more of a check. It's more of a, it's more of a place you go to check yourself than it is to come up with an interpretation. Mm -hmm. You know, um, you want to see what other people are saying about this. And if, if you come to an interpretation and you see that, uh, you know, there's other people who have come up with this same thing, working with the original languages, you know, you can't be that far off, mm -hmm. you know, you, you know, there's, there is some, you're not on your own here. You're, it's not some idiocentric interpretation. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Checks. The commentaries are checks. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, one of the things that you said in the, in the prose as well, like dealing with uh, sources, uh, um, for example, it's not tied with anyone's translation. We have several translations. And uh, I like the point much because uh, for me, establishing the text is important. I don't want to get into the textual study, but still at the same time, you're actually establishing the text. What is the text? Right, right. Because, and, and then when you look at different translations, as, as um, you know, I think if you're stuck with English, as the, you can't use Greek or Hebrew, and so you're stuck with your English Bible, I think you have to use multiple translations of uh, the English Bible in order to establish what the text is. And that will affect your interpretation. Mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. Obviously, how you, how you establish your text will affect your interpretation. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for this pros and cons. This is, this is really neat to see like on both sides. Uh, we may have already dealt with the next uh, sub-question I would say that I have, but how would you respond to someone who holds to the position that learning languages is really not important? I mean, when I, when I say not important, for them, it is really not important. Yeah, so I know this is an issue that many Bible colleges, Christian universities, and seminaries are struggling with, where you look at their you know, their main degrees for those going into pastoral ministry, um, such as an MDiv degree. And, 
you look at the degrees and you look at the requirements and they have fewer and fewer requirements in the area of the original languages. You know, a lot of schools, a lot of seminaries now, you can graduate with an, a Master of Divinity degree and have only taken two classes of Hebrew and two classes of Greek. Mm. And in my mind, that's, you're woefully unprepared. Um, you know, as I used to teach Greek, uh, you know, I've, I've taught basic Greek and I've taught intermediate Greek. And I'm, I'm not saying I was good at it, but I've, I've thought through how do you teach uh, these languages. And one of the things the students have to understand is by the time you get done one year of New Testament Greek, you're dangerous. Mm. You know, because you know a little bit, but you don't know enough. <laughs> yeah. then, then by the time you get done two years, and so maybe you're into intermediate Greek, now you're really dangerous mm. because you think all your conclusions from what you learned in your second year are absolutes that they're, you know, and they're not. <laughs> you know, there's much more nuance to the language that, and you just can't learn it in two years or two semesters or whatever it might be of learning the language. Um, and so, you know, the more you can get, the better off you're going to be as far as your preparation. You know, it gives you more tools in your toolbox. Mm -hmm. And I, for me, it just, it, I, I don't, I can't comprehend it because I do a little bit of word woodworking. I can do a little bit of mechanical stuff and um, man, I just want every tool I can get in my toolbox, you know, um, with woodworking stuff. I want everything I can get, get my hands on because it makes you, it, what makes things easier. And oftentimes you can do a better job when you have the right tools. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't know why when people come to preparing for ministry and preparing to study the Bible to present to other people that all of a sudden they don't want the tools. Mm. Well, they don't want the basic tools. They just want to go, they want to go easy. Mm -hmm. you know? and, and to them, I think to most people, learning the languages is that's just too much work for them in their opinion. It's just too hard to do. And they think that I have this great Bible study program that will tell me everything I need to know. And I think if you would ask the people who have developed the Bible study programs out there that are great, I use one. I love it. Um, I don't know what I would do without it. Um, but if you would ask the people who develop those programs, they would tell you, these programs do not replace understanding the original languages. Mm -hmm. They help those who understand the original languages, mm -hmm. but they don't replace them. Mm -hmm. They don't replace them at all. And, um, you know, so when people say uh, learning the original languages just isn't important for me, um, you know, well, like one, my one uh, Greek instructor in seminary said, he would say, well, brother, do you love Jesus or not? <laughs> if you love Jesus, you'll learn the languages. <laughs> now, of course, he was being a little bit sarcastic there, but, um, you know, I, 
to me, there's no good argument for not learning the languages. None. Hmm. So I, you know, I, I don't, I don't know if there is uh, um, something a little bit more specific that I can address in that area. Um, but to me, everybody who is going to be a pastor should understand that it is important to know the original languages. I mean, I have pastor friends now who, you know, they, they don't really have much facility with the Greek language and they have zero with the Hebrew language. But they would never say it's not important to know those languages. Mm. They would just say they don't. Yeah. Mm. So there's a difference between saying, I don't know those languages and I'm still in ministry and I'm still a pastor. That's different than saying these languages are not important for a pastor mm -hmm. uh, learn and appreciate. And so uh, those people who, who put themselves in that category to think this is not important, especially I'm thinking, especially of uh, younger men who are at the beginning of their ministry um, who say they just don't want to put the time into learning the original languages. That's like saying, you know, um, I just don't want to take the time to understand the word of God. Mm -hmm. You know, who, who, who in their right, nobody in their right mind would say that, you know, nobody who wants to be in ministry would say that, but in effect, when they're ignoring the original languages, um, that's, that's what they're doing to a certain extent. Yeah. I, I agree with you that there is uh, no solid reason to not to learn languages. I think, um, it will be a lot more helpful if they just put a little bit of effort in learning languages because obviously Bible is not given in English. Right. <laughs> it's to begin with, it was in original languages and it's, it's going to be helpful. But um, I've also seen uh, that those who are not into languages, for example, they use a term from Greek or a term from Hebrew. The term, this word means this. And then they go on and on just to just put a word here and word here and say, this is from Hebrew, this is from Greek, this is what it means. But my understanding, words change meaning uh, over the number of years. And then we can't just pick a word and say, okay, like, for example, you talked about the term elect uh, previously right. before um, in my pastoral class, they asked, who are the elect? <laughs> I say, okay, I'm not going to get into this, but everybody that believes in the Lord <laughs> <laughs> are a part of the like period let's let's get done with this discussion but i mean even if they do study on the elect and they may just study do a pick a meaning like a glossary from from the glosses pick a word uh, pick a term and you say okay this is what it means but they're really not studying the term on on the broader level that is how is it used in different contexts so right. so that's where i think uh, those who use this little terms in their sermons or this word means this are missing the whole thing and just maybe yeah. think like, okay, well, I can just, just use one word and just preach my sermon. Well, right, right. Well, you know, that's, that's part going back to one of the pros I said that if um, the pastor knows how to use the original languages and when I'm using the, the phrase knows how to use the original languages, I'm not talking about being an expert. I'm not talking about someone who can just flop open their Greek New Testament or Hebrew Bible and start cold translation 
and exegesis. I'm not talking about that. You know, those people are few and far between and they're weird. Okay. Mm. You know, they're unicorns. <laughs> There's just many out there, especially guys who have a pastoral ministry. They have more to do in their pastoral ministry than just be able to sit there and study Hebrew and Greek. I mean, that, that'd be great if that's all they could do or, or what they got to do, but there's more to ministry than just that. And so when I talk about they know the languages, I'm talking about, you know, they have some reading facility, you know, they might not be able to tell you exactly what it says, but it, they know the letters, they know the sounds, they know the, you know, the grammar somewhat, they know the syntax somewhat enough so it can lead them to study things more closely. Mm-hmm. You know, they know the vocabulary somewhat, but they're not experts. You know, they're not experts in these things. Mm-hmm. And you don't need to be an expert to uh, profitably use the original languages. Mm-hmm. You just need to be a good student. Most people don't want to be a good student, but you need to be a good student um, to use the original languages. But, uh, you know, you get to you get to see the nuance of a passage. And so just take that word elect as an example. You know, when you look up at that word, you look that word up in the Old Testament. And um, when you're talking about the noun or the adjective, uh, you look how it's used and it's often used for Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. You know, it's often used for the nation of Israel. Mm-hmm. Um, matter of fact, I think, I think those two uses might be the predominant use of this idea of, a, of elect in the Old Testament. Mm. And so it's used of a place and it's used of a corporate group of people. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, a, there's other t- ways that the word elect is used. It's used just for a person making a choice. Um, choosing, you know, uh, with Mary and Martha and Martha's in there doing the work and Mary's at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus says, Mary, you have chosen elected mm-hmm. the better. She just made a choice to be with Jesus. That's the word. That's the word. Um, and so you have to recognize that this word is used just like you said, is used in many different ways. And you have to understand what it means in your particular context of your passage. Mm-hmm. And if you just kind of look at the first meaning in the dictionary and say, that's what it is, <laughs> you know, you're, you're uh, treading on thin ice there to get it right. Right, right, right. Yep. Uh, can, can you, uh, for example, I mean, to, to conclude that subtopic, I believe learning languages are really important. And I think you agree with that. Yeah. It, is, it is important for learning languages. So uh, can you... Sorry, I would go. say as much as you can. Mm-hmm. As much as you can. Not everybody has the privilege to go to seminary. Mm-hmm. I understand that seminary is an expensive thing, uh, which you know, bothers me that Bible school has become so expensive. But I would say you know, learn as much as you can of the original language with the opportunities you have. And whether that's taking courses at Bible school, whether it's going to seminary, whether it's buying a, um, you know, a video program that 
takes you through the the Greek and Hebrew that teach you know you can teach yourself at your own pace mm-hmm. whether it's doing that you know so I'm not I'm not lobbying for going necessarily to Bible college or seminary I'm just lobbying for learning the languages however you can mm-hmm. to the extent that you can learn the languages mm-hmm. that's great thank you for that advice yeah um, can you provide uh, an example or two using language like basically because I would like our listeners or viewers to, to know how a language could enhance uh, our understanding of the text. Is there any example that could provide? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, if you look at Psalm 100 and you look down through there and if if you are able to use Hebrew, mm-hmm. you'll notice that you have a list of imperatives that are given here. Make, as an imperative, make a joyful shout. Uh, number two, serve. Number three, come. Um, number four, know. Number five, enter. Number six, be thankful. Number seven, bless. So immediately at looking at this passage, I know I, I have at least seven, seven points that I can talk about. I, I just, and you know that from Hebrew. Mm-hmm. And then you know there's a, an additional point that begins in verse five because uh, here it's, you have this uh, causal key or chi or key. Mm-hmm. Um, get my Hebrew and Greek mixed up, but uh, you have this this uh, causal word here, and so you know verse five is going to give you the reasons for the commands in verses one through four. Mm. So you can say, "Look, here's the commands: make a joyful shout, serve the Lord, come before His presence, know the Lord, mm-hmm. enter." gates. Be thankful to the Lord. Bless his name. Why should we do those things? Because the Lord is good. Mm-hmm. You know, so um, you see that, I think, very clearly in the Hebrew text. Mm-hmm. And at some facility with the Hebrew, you're going to pick up on those imperatives right away. Mm-hmm. Right away. And because um, our English Bibles don't necessarily lay it out in a way that's easy to identify every single imperative. Right. Um, especially if you use the King James, that's in poetry. Mm-hmm. So the King James is going to format poetry as prose and it's going to be even more difficult in my opinion to, to pick it up. But so that's one example. Mm-hmm. Another example I think is found in Colossians. Um, I just preached through Colossians. So it's fresh on my mind. So that's why I went. <laughs> that's true. Uh, can uh, think about Colossians here a little bit, but with Colossians, you're going to have all these in chapter one, all the way up through, you know, basically the middle of chapter two, you have all these indicatives, these indicative verbs. Then you get into chapter two, verse six, and Paul starts piling on imperatives. Mm. And so um, 
he's saying in the first part of this letter, this is the propositions. And basically the proposition is the supremacy and preeminence of Jesus Christ. And then in, the, in chapter two, about the middle of chapter two, verse six on, he's saying what difference should that make in your life? And so, I mean, I'm not going to go through every single imperative here, but in, in verse chapter two, verse six, walk. Verse eight, beware. Verse 16, don't let anyone judge. Verse 18, don't let anyone cheat you. Um, chapter three, verse one, seek. Verse two, set your mind on. Verse five, put to death. Verse eight, uh, put on, or, or excuse me, put off. Verse nine, do not lie, you know, and so on and so forth. And it goes down and it goes all the way through um, chapter four, uh, verse six. And so you have all these imperatives. So you got this area of the book where Paul is presenting the propositions. And then how do those propositions impact me as a believer? And you see that through these commands that he says, this is the way you should be. Mm. This, is, this is how you, you're to be. And I would also point out that with commands, you know, if you understand Greek, first year Greek, you know that the imperative mood is the least, uh, the mood that is least connected to reality. Mm. You know, you have the indicative, you have the subjunctive, you have the optative, and you have the imperative. And it's least connected to reality because the imperative is a command from one person to another person. Mm -hmm. That the one who receives the command has to be the one who acts upon it. Mm -hmm. You know, and so a command doesn't guarantee that it's going to be obeyed. Right. The person receives the command has to be the one who obeys. And sometimes, you know, I've heard sermons where people have said, well, this is a command, so it's absolutely going to happen. No, that's not true. It's not true. And it's not true because it's not true in the language. Right. You know, that's not the right understanding of the language. So that, that's two examples. Um, I can give you a little bit more, some comp more complicated examples. And that is in... In Second Peter chapter three, Second Peter chapter three, um, I believe it's verse ten. Peter is complicated. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, this this is a textual complication. Yeah, I see. So you said Second uh, Peter chapter three. Yes, verse ten. Okay. And uh, let me. I need a different version here. Um, the new King James says, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements, that's our key word there. And the elements will melt with fervent heat, both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. And so that term element, stoicheo, I believe is the, the Greek term there, um, and the ESV translates that differently. It, the ESV says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, 
and the heavenly bodies will be burned up. And so instead of the elements, the heavenly bodies, well, if you know Greek, immediately you'll understand that that word uh, stoiketo doesn't mean heavenly bodies. It means like the principal part, the principal element, the, the foundational element of something. So right away that tells you, if you know Greek, right away it tells you that the ESV is making a pretty extensive interpretation here. And, and I'm not judging whether that interpretation is right or wrong. Mm -hmm. It could be right. But if the only thing you have is the ESV, then you don't understand that the word being used here is a word that um, doesn't really mean what they have. It's just the elements. And uh, for me, and, and I, I would prefer that English translations leave as much ambiguity in their translations as the original languages have in the text. Mm, that's a great point. So I'm not looking for interpretations of the text. And I know translation is at some extent also an interpretation. I get that. I understand all those arguments and everything goes around. What I'm arguing for, what I prefer is to have the at least amount of interpretation as can be possible. Mm -hmm. And no, no translation gets it perfect. So um, the New King James isn't perfect. I used it, but it's not perfect. And I'm not going to argue that it's the only Bible you should use. But, um, you know, I like it. And so I use it because it's a preference. Mm -hmm. And everybody else can have their preference and what they use for whatever reason. But um, get a Bible that does the least amount of interpretation. Um, but you know that when you you have a Greek text, you can see that when you're using the Greek text, and, and so it's it's a matter of um, understanding the Greek and understanding your vocabulary. Uh, if I could give one more one more example, sure. Um, and this one comes from Psalm chapter six. Okay. I think it, I don't think it's Psalm. I, th I think I meant Proverbs. I wrote Psalm 69. I meant Proverbs chapter 6. And um, one of the things that you'll, you'll notice in here is, um, and I don't have my Hebrew Bible in front of me, so I'm not going to be able to uh, pick out the exact words, but um, I know that in this particular passage that you're going to have the use of the nifel mm -hmm. at least twice and you're going to have the hithpel used mm -hmm. so if you know hebrew you know both of those forms are, have a causative function mm -hmm. like this caused something right so if you're stuck with english you don't see that in the text at all uh, it's, it's, you don't see it, but if you know a little bit of Hebrew and you can pick out these forms, um, you know, well, oh, wow, this, this is talking about, 
you're causing something to happen to yourself. Maybe mm-hmm. it's reflexive that you cause something yourself. So, um, you know, it, it just, it just is a help. Also, I would point out since we're looking at Hebrew poetry, um, if you only know English, you have a hard time understanding Hebrew poetry. Mm-hmm. Um, if you know Hebrew, you still have a hard time understanding Hebrew poetry, but it's a little bit clear. <laughs> <laughs> if you know Hebrew, then you understand more clearly the, the parallelism that is taking place within Hebrew poetry. Mm-hmm. And you can see that parallelism even with some of the sounds. So if you can read Hebrew, uh, sometimes the sound of the words is just as important as what the word says. And so you have that sound you can also uh, take into account. So, but that stuff is only the, possible if you know the original languages mm-hmm. uh, to some extent. So there's four examples right there that uh, I sort of just picked off the top of my head that, that indicate there is a profitability to knowing the original languages. Some of them are very straightforward. Some of them take a little bit more thought in dealing with the language, but nothing that I pointed out is too complicated. I mean, this isn't, you don't have to be an expert in Hebrew or Greek to pick up on any of this stuff. You just have to have some facility with, with the languages. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that's great. Thank you for those uh, insights. Uh, and I'm in agreement. I mean, the learning languages are they're going to enhance really enhance understanding. Like you're just pointing out to the Nithail and Hithwail stems and so forth. I mean, you I, we don't see them in English. That's no, just, no, we don't. <laughs> and I, I can understand completely because I mean. I, uh, it makes me feel like, I mean, like, like you're saying, there's, there's something more than just reading. Uh, I'm not saying there's hidden meaning in, in the terms of something, but I'm just saying if I read on a basic level, for example, in English, I'm not, I'm, I'm missing something if I don't know the languages and right. the depth is what comes out if you know the languages. Well, and, and I think I would say that when you're talking about poetry, whether you're talking about Hebrew poetry in the Old Testament or some of the few poetic sections in the New Testament. There's, there's a few things that are poetry in the New Testament. Um, but if you don't know the original languages, it becomes much more difficult to understand the poetry because poetry by nature is more than meets the eye. Mm-hmm. If I can put it like that, you know, poetry by nature is, is making you stop, slow down and be more contemplative. I mean, it uses imagery, similes, metaphors, and all this type of, all these um, figures of speech. And it does that because it's doing, it, it's more than just information, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's more than just information transfer there is uh, an emotion even connected with the text that, that you get, that you understand better in the original languages than you do in just English. Um, I mean, poetry is a very hard, I mean, I have the highest admiration for Bible translators who translate the poetical sections because it's hard. Mm-hmm. It's hard. 
And um, it, it doesn't, it's really hard to have a one-to-one -one correspondence in any way in, in poetry from Hebrew to English. Um, and so my hat's off to those guys who do that and they do a good job, the best that, that we really can have, but that doesn't mean that there's not more there. It just can't be expressed in English. Mm -hmm. And so know their original languages, you know, have some facility with the original languages. Absolutely. Thank you for that, for the advice. Um, well, I think I have asked you all the questions that I want to ask. Uh, are there any resources that you would suggest for the people who want to learn language or for those who are maybe in first, second read? Yep. So in my um, experience, most people can't learn languages by themselves, mm. by themselves. They, they need to be in a group. They need to have an instructor. Uh, having said that, if you are the type of person who can use or can learn languages by yourself, then I think it's Zondervan, or maybe there's, a, there's this one website called Bible Mesh or something like that, um, that has videos mm. that they put out. Um, I think Zondervan sells um, Mounts' Basics of Biblical Greek. So he, he sell that first book, and they sell the videos where uh, Bill Mounts himself is teaching the class. And so you have an instructor, and uh, but it's all about video. Um, they do the same thing with the basic Hebrew uh, grammar as well. Um, and uh, who's that? Practico and Van Pelt or something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, those guys, they also sell a set of videos. So if you're the type of person who is really self-motivated, a hard charger, and you're going to do this, and you're a good uh, learner on your own, then I would make use of those video resources. Mm. At the end of the day, it's cheaper than going to college. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> going to college, but you're not, also when you go to college, you're paying for, to have a professor interact with you personally. Right. right. Um, you know, for, for, other people, I would say you need to find someone who can teach you the languages. Someone who is willing and has the time to sit down and teach you Greek. That, the solution to that might be taking a Greek class at, at a college, you know, um, or taking Hebrew at a college. That might be the solution. If, if you don't have that uh, possibility, maybe you can find someone who has some facility with the language that might be able to help you uh, learn at least what they know. Mm -hmm. And then, then you'll, can, you can do some self-study to improve yourself there. Um, so I think those are, those are approaches that you can take. But as far as what's the right grammar to use, what's the right introduction to Greek or Hebrew, to use that's really a that's a tough question mm -hmm. I mean I probably have a dozen grammars of each language on my bookshelf mm. and some of them do some things well some of them do other things well some of them you know there's only one thing out of it that I like <laughs> um, you know so I think I think you have to just find what's best for you um, I think Bill Mounts, if you're just learning Greek for the first time, Bill Mounts 
you can't go wrong with his book. Okay. Um, you can't, it's a good, solid resource. It's never a bad option uh, mm -hmm. when it comes to that. And I think, um, and, and uh, the name of the author just left me, but it's a Hebrew, basic Hebrew grammar. Um, Kelly? Okay. Um, his Hebrew grammar is, I mean, it's, it's dated now, but um, I, I enjoy that. I like that. It goes down into details of linguistics a little bit, mm. uh, which I found helpful for Hebrew because Hebrew is, uh, you know, it's not a second language. It's not a third language. It, it, you know, it, it's down the road. It's, 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 uh, you know, five, six, seven, eight, it's way down the road. I, you know, um, I did not, I did not, I wouldn't say I picked up Hebrew at all. And certainly when I was taking classes, it was not easy. It did not come easy for me. So I found that particular grammar helpful because it explains a lot more that some of the shorter grammars don't, mm -hmm. you know, it, it, it puts more explanation into certain points. Like how do these sounds, how are they formed in your mouth? Mm -hmm. you know, which I find extremely helpful in trying to pronounce these. Uh, from West Virginia. I need all the help I can get. <laughs> um, then when you're talking about uh, maybe advanced grammars and both, mm -hmm. uh, I think in uh, Greek, certainly, uh, and if I was sitting in my office, I would know, but uh, that, uh, Blast Brunner and Funk. Okay. It's sort of uh, the standard uh, grammar. Then uh, Samer, standard uh, intermediate to advanced grammar. Then Dan Wallace's mm -hmm. um, exegetical grammar, exegetical, exegetical syntax and syntax book. The, the big one, not the little one. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a there's a, a full version and there then there's an abridged version i would just go right to the full version mm -hmm. uh, it's got you might not want all the information to start with but once you get into it and you go through it you're going to want to go back and pick up all the extra information that he puts in there um at robertson's grammar is i think a must have just for historical reference I mean, it's huge, it's thick, but he gives a lot more explanation than a lot of these other guys. Um, and I think a, a contemporary guy who seems to be putting out a good bit of work is Constantine Campbell. Okay. And I forget where he's an instructor at right now. But uh, he seems to be putting out you know, some of the more cutting edge. He's talking about more of the cutting edge stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it's just interesting to keep you up with what's happening in learning Greek. That these these biblical languages, they're dead languages, mm -hmm. you know, dead languages. But we don't know everything about them. Right. So there's still learning that takes place that will. I, I don't know that it's ever going to have a huge impact on understanding the Bible, but it could have some impact. And so, the person who knows the languages needs to keep up with the languages. Mm -hmm. Definitely. <laughs> Nothing, there's nothing worse than sitting and, and you know, 
biblical languages. So you're sitting there um, having learned biblical languages and you hear, hear some speaker or preacher say something about uh, the Greek or the Hebrew and you're like, well, that was, that was true 50 years ago, but you know, opinions about that are totally different now. Right. Uh, you know, like the deponent and, and Greek. What's that? And, yeah, <laughs> exactly. What, you know, and uh, so opinions and scholarship has changed over that. So you need to be a little bit aware of that. So you can't just be static in your, your learning. But uh, for Hebrew, um, advanced grammars, um, Walkie and O'Connor mm-hmm. um, is, a, is a good one. Uh, Gesenius and Juan, those are also, um, you know, worth your time. And there's a, there's a few others that are out there, but, uh, uh, you know, you need, to, you need to find one that you find useful. Mm-hmm. You know, these grammars are not books to read. They're books to reference. Right. You know, and you need to be able to reference them. And um, so those, were, those would be some resources that uh, I would suggest. Also, I think, and I think it is Bible Mesh. They put out a, um, maybe it's a daily five-minute video segment on um, Hebrew and Greek. So uh, you can look that up. It just goes right to your, either it goes to your account on uh, whatever platform it's on, or they email you the video that you're on the, you're on the email list. So you get the video and, you know, I get them. I don't, I don't watch all of them, but they go through books of the Bible. So they're dealing with the original languages in five minute segments. Hmm. And so for someone who is trying to learn the languages, watching that, listening to that, you can play it back if you want to, will help you know the importance of the languages because they got these top-notch guys who are putting this stuff out and, and they know their stuff. Mm. And uh, I'll try to remember to send you, send you maybe the link to that stuff to, to make, I'm telling, make sure I'm telling you the correct thing. But sure. um, those are resources that... Uh, I think are valuable. And and then I would say the final resource that I think is invaluable is if you know someone you can talk to Mm. who knows more about the language than you do, Mm. or at least someone who has the same level of facility with the language. Mm. As you run into problems that you're dealing with, and uh, understanding what does the text say, what does it mean, um, and you're really you're just really at a hard spot. You can talk to someone else, and maybe they'll think of something you didn't think of. Mm-hmm. Um, but they have to know the original languages as well, um, and so that's a resource. I would include those people as a resource. Right. That's yeah. great. Well, that's great. Thank you so much. Um for giving all these advices and, and, and clearing the question, why are biblical languages important for understanding and also answering the question about, I don't need languages. <laughs> well, we think you do. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. When, when there's a consensus between the two of us, you need to know the languages. 
to whatever, and, and again, you know, my position is to whatever extent possible for you, you need to know the languages. And, and the thing is, the answer to that is everybody um, in the United States of America, everybody has the ability to learn something of the original languages. Everybody. Mm-hmm. If you are, uh, if you are uh, someone who is training to go into ministry, you have more uh, resources and uh, the ability to learn the original languages than just about anybody else. So there's no excuse uh, in the United States of America for a ministerial student to not learn the original languages. And it comes down to this. It comes down to this. The pastor has nothing to say but what God's already said. Mm-hmm. He has nothing to say. Um, your insights into life and situations do not add up to the authority of the Bible. And so you can be very insightful, but that is not the same as God's inspired authoritative word. And so since we're dealing with the word of God and presenting the word of God, then we need to do whatever it takes to make sure that we are understanding it correctly, that we are interpreting correctly, so that we are presenting it correctly to the flock of God. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's why original languages are important. It's not academic at all. It's very, learning original languages might sound like it's academic, but it's very, very practical. Mm-hmm. And, and it comes down to what has God said? Mm-hmm. What has God said? So, uh, listeners, uh, please, I, uh, we advise that you, if you can, please learn the languages. It is not really a pastor's uh, sole job to learn languages or a scholarly person's job. And, you know, pastors and scholars are not always going to be available. So what if you have a question? Then if you have the... Uh, language tool in your hands, for example, if you know the language, then you can find the answer for your question. So it's going to be helpful, not only just for answering your questions, but it's going to be helpful for understanding God's word, um, God's word more better than reading just a plain English translation. So Pastor Hanshu and I advise that you can put some effort in learning languages and please learn. Would you support that? I would support that 100%. And I would say that everybody has limited time and resources and that you're better off putting your time and resources into learning the biblical languages than you are learning about, you know, a bunch of theology or a bunch of practical ministry stuff that'll change in two years. Mm -hmm. the, The biblical languages are not changing. There's my, there's small advances, but there's no great advances in the biblical languages that's happening right now. We know the languages. We know that the Bible was written in these languages. This is the bread and butter. And it really comes from the attitude that the most important thing is the word of God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is the most important thing. And everything else is secondary to that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
since you use the term, you, you just said the term theology, and this might be a topic for another day, but, but my, my view on the theology is your theology comes from the text. That's right. It should come from the text, not what somebody else believes. Your theology should come from the text. That's right. And, and there's a difference between um, one's theology and what the Bible says. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're not the same thing. Uh, you use the Bible. I shouldn't, I don't even know if this is the right way to say it. I kind of, I kind of paused. I just paused even as I was getting ready to say it, but you use the Bible to develop a theology. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe the right way to put that is um, that uh, as you come to certain things, certain conclusions about what the Bible says, our mind is drawn to, to systematize and organize that information. And when we do that, we call that our theology. Mm-hmm. You know? But it's all based on the text. The text is the starting place. The text is in control. And the text is the final authority. Mm-hmm. And um, so, I, you know, when, when, um, when I talk about theology to, to Bible college students, you know, the thing I point out is that all theology is fallible. All theology <laughs> is fallible because by definition, theology is the activity and occupation of a man. Mm. All men are fallible. You know, even those who have been regenerated by God they still are fallible. And uh, so that means since theology is the activity and occupation of man where he is systematizing and collecting what the Bible says and putting it into categories that he's developed, that means all of that is fallible. Mm. You know, that means that, you know, when it comes to what am I going to hold on to, you hold on to what the word of God says. You don't hold on to the theology, mm-hmm. you know? And uh, mm-hmm. so and people have a hard time with that because theology is comfort, comforting. Mm-hmm. Uh, theology tends to be consistent. You know, it tends to agree. When you have a systematic theology, you're trying to make everything agree. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the Bible presents things that don't nicely fit together. They kind of sometimes seem to go like that. Right. Um, I, I, my personal opinion is that God has communicated to us in such a way that what he wants to communicate is clearly known. Mm-hmm. It's clear. Mm-hmm. So the, the problem is not with, does the Bible clearly present teachings on different things? The problem is I come to that and I got these preconceived notions because of my theology and I won't let the Bible speak to me because my theology is blocking it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, that goes back to the original languages. Why understand the original languages? Because we will more clearly understand what God has said to us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And to me, it's, I mean, it's that simple to me. It's not a comp, this, this question, we've been talking about it for a while, but it's not a complicated question, is it? Yeah, yeah it's not. <laughs> it is, it is. Uh, but for some, I mean, I think it's, I mean, I know we're, I'm going on and on and on and on because I, I keep 
thoughts coming out, but for some, it's just probably straight up no lack of interest. It's not even that they're, they, but how would one know? How would I know that I can't learn languages is going to be difficult without even trying it? Yeah, well, and here's the thing. Who cares if it's difficult? Yeah. Who, who cares? If, it, it was not easy for me to learn the languages, and it's not easy for me to go back and do a bunch of study in the language. It's work. Mm-hmm. Big deal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, maybe uh, for the future, at some point, we'll have another discussion uh, or a few discussions about languages. And, and also, since we talked about the theology and the text, and maybe one someday, you know, theological systems versus the biblical text. <laughs> Boom, shoot. <laughs> I'm ready for it. But whenever, whenever that is, that's one of the interesting topics, at least for me. So, Lord willing, we'll deal with that at some point. Again, thank you so much for your time and for answering these questions and clearing uh, any doubts that the listeners might have. So, viewers and listeners, if you're not into languages, give it a try. I mean, I'm saying it from experience. It's not difficult. It just becomes difficult because we listen to everybody else. Oh, that's so hard. Oh, this is so hard. No, it's not. You can do it. So, having languages background is going to be helpful for you to understand the text, to understand the text. And then, as we just discussed a little bit, that your theology, if you believe some theological uh, side of the, you know, I, I don't know what term should I use, theological bias, and no, I'll just keep quiet for now. But if you believe in some sort of a theology, you know, it should come from the biblical text because right. the text defines uh, your position in theology. So maybe Lord willing, one day we'll have that, Pastor Hanshaw, and I know last time you said call me Dan, but it's going to take me about a year or two to get used to it. But... <laughs> But thank you so much for your valuable time and for the insights. You're welcome. And Lord willing, we'll have uh, another session sometime. We'll we'll discuss after this. Um, and uh, those who are listening and watching this show, I request that you please subscribe to the Plain Sense podcast. And also ask questions. If you have questions, uh, write a comment below on, on the website, uh, joelmodasso.com, where I post these videos and um, underneath the post, you can just write a comment if you have a comment or a question. So we'll try to try to get an answer for you. Uh, please subscribe to the podcast um, and share with your friends and so forth, so that there may be somebody uh, that is just waiting to hear something from this podcast or from one of these podcasts. So we never know; God might use um, anything. Uh, for his own glory in, in any way he wants to. So so I request uh, to please uh, write a comment and share and subscribe to the podcast. And once again, thank you so much, Pastor Hans, for this time. And we will, Lord willing, meet again soon. Thank you. Thank you.